Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Elliot Began. Elliot, welcome to the show. Thanks, Henry. Glad to be here with you. Thanks for being with me. We're going to chat about how to, Elliot's specialty is how to grow a natural products brand but as doing and doing the research, I think so much of this applies to any product that you're trying to get to market and to grow. I think all of these principles apply as well, in my opinion. We'll get Elliot's opinion here on that and his experiences with growing natural product brands. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, and to schedule a free coaching consultation with me, you can text the word biz. B-I-Z to 772-837-5700 or visit thehowabusiness.com. So let me tell you more about Elliot. Elliot Begin is an entrepreneur and the founder of TIG. Now, do you refer to it as TIG, T-I-G, or the intertwined group or both? What do you prefer? Yeah, we go by TIG. Okay, TIG. Uh, and so TIG is an accelerator focused on helping emerging natural product brands grow. Elliot calls himself a natural products nerd and has been in the natural products industry for over 25 years. He started his career in a management training program for a boutique chain of restaurants right out of undergraduate school. And he's also been a territory sales representative, a general sales manager, led a supply chain organization, and has served as a senior executive. He has also owned a food and brokerage firm. And during his career, he has called on just about every type of customer in just about every channel. Today, he leverages his extensive knowledge and experience to help emerging natural product brands grow. Elliot is also an author and the host of his own podcast called TIG Talk, T-I-G, TIG Talk, a podcast for the natural products industry. And what's interesting about it is they tape it in front of a live virtual audience. Very interesting to listen to. Elliot lives in California. So once again, Elliot, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks, Henry. Glad to be here and, and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's start at the beginning, though. Obviously, an interesting career before you got to founding TIG. And so I'd like you to, to share that, that brief story as I summarize it in the bio. Quite a diverse background. But, but if summarize some of those key experiences before you got to founding TIG. Sure. I mean, I, I, you know, I coming out of college, I, I followed what I thought was the uh, tried and true trajectory, right? You, you come out, you, you get a job uh, working for in corporate America and you start the climb and you, you, the long slog up the ladder. And, you know, that's, that's basically what I did with a few, uh, a few uh, stop and layovers along the way. And as I did it, and as I continued to grow and, you know, did the, you know, went back and did my MBA and did all the things that you're supposed to do, I was continuously finding myself uh, less and less fulfilled. And, uh, you know, it, it, it got to the point where I was a C-suite executive for a large company and I was heading to work one day and, and uh, you know, cinching up the tie, which now only adorn my neck at weddings and funerals. Um, and about to head out the door, my my wife looked at me and said, you know, if you, by the way, if you think you're faking it, uh, you're wrong. Uh, you're miserable. 
And you have been for a long time. And maybe it's time you do something different. And uh, that was that was both uh, liberating and terrifying simultaneously. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it really, you know, I had, uh, you know, built a nice career. We were financially very comfortable, um, you know, and and yet I wasn't really doing uh, my heart's work and I wasn't feeling like I could see. Uh, the impact that I was making, and and uh, my wife was astute enough to know that that uh, I I needed the nudge to uh, to change that. When she said it's time to do something else, did she mean start a business? Yeah, yeah. She, I don't know if she had an had an explicit uh, uh, vision of what that something else would be, but I think she knew it would be something inherently entrepreneurial. Um, I don't know if you had this experience, Henry, you know, in your corporate world, but I was somewhat of a pariah because in, in, in corporate life, people that want to break things and change things are actually uh, often viewed as threats. Absolutely. Yeah. That isn't the way corp, corp, you know, big companies run. They, they want the, the, uh, the status quo. And so I was always, or at least I certainly felt that I was always somewhat of the pariah and whatever I would do next, it would be, it would have to be entrepreneurial. But the timing of that conversation with my wife was, you know, looking back was, was crazy. Uh, we, have, we have three kids at that moment in time that two of them were in college. One was uh, in high school. And, uh, wow. you know, it was the time that you would, uh, the most expensive time in the uh, trajectory of a family to, right. to, to you know, give up the, uh, uh, what, what I certainly perceived at that time is the security of the, uh, you know, executive salary, but uh, uh, I, I think once she kind of uh, impregnated that thought in my mind, uh, it, she knew, and, and I probably was too stubborn to recognize it, that, <laughs> that it was just a matter of time from, from uh, that conversation to me doing something. Yeah. Well, I mean, part of the challenge also is you have at that point so much invested and you feel like, am I throwing all of that away? Absolutely. And, and also it's, it's, you know, it's contrary and, and um, kind of counterintuitive to the common logic. I mean, it wasn't that I wasn't happy. It wasn't, you know, in terms of the job itself. And it wasn't that I was at any risk of being downsized. You know, I had a pretty cushy, cushy job and a decent life, but um, it, it wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting up in the morning, you know, excited to go to work. Uh, I was more or less counting how many more days until the weekend. And then the, 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 the clock would start, uh, the countdown would start, you know, again, Sunday afternoon as, as the wave of, of uh, depression would wash over me thinking about going back to work on Monday. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, looking back at it now, do you wish you would have done it sooner or was the timing what it needed to be? Uh, that's a great question. I mean, uh, yes and yes. <laughs> so um, certainly I wish I had done it sooner. Um, but I think um, those 25 years of doing it uh, were fantastic training and made me far more effective um, in, in this next chapter. So I don't, I don't regret it. Um, but I, you know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, um, conversation. 
our oldest, you know, uh, daughter, I was, I was still in the mindset of, Hey, you know, you go, go to mm-hmm. go get, get through your undergrad, go to grad, go work for a company, you know, work your way up. Our son, I've uh, got a completely different version of dad is like, hey, take, a, take a gap year, start a company, do something creative um, as my mind shift, you know, as, as my mindset shifted. Did, did he do that? Uh, he, no, he's, he, <laughs> he, he did the opposite. He's, he's on his way to law school. So I he's, see, I see. He's going over to the dark side. <laughs> yeah, I was challenged with that as well. My daughter just graduated from college last year, and I had I had that same thought. Well, I, because I want her to be an entrepreneur, but I also wanted to have that that base and that plan B kind of in my head, which is interesting to think about. So yeah. early on in life, no entrepreneurial aspirations. Oh, I think I think I did, but I don't I don't know that I knew how to manifest. Sure, sure. You know, I I, I was somebody that that uh, you know kind of. Uh, thinking like the uh, mad scientist who's always tinkering in the back, you know, in the back shed. Um, I was always thinking of ideas and business concepts and so forth. Um, but I never felt like I was at a place to, to, to do it. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of it was taking on the, the responsibility of, of being the primary breadwinner and, and also just, you know, with kids wanting to be, you know, conservative. And, and so I, I think I put a artificial uh, barrier to me dreaming too much about being entrepreneurial. Yeah. And so what was that first business? Well, I mean, the first business was, um, the, you know, I mean, when I was a kid, but first real business was mm-hmm. when I, I went to graduate school after being in the workforce for a while and, and came out like, I think so many, uh, young professionals do with this belief that now I know everything <laughs> and, uh, and, and a little bit of arrogance and, and felt like uh, I could do something different. And at one of the, one of the, um, one of my classmates was also in a similar business. He was working for Frito-Lay and we wanted to disrupt the way the food brokerage business was working. So we started a food brokerage uh, and that's and and uh, did that for a few years and actually we did it successfully um, but uh, the, the way the business built uh, we, we wound up building a niche in the casino trade in, hmm. in Vegas and uh, neither of us and certainly neither of our spouses or families had any interest in uh, moving to Vegas and so we knew that uh, um, we wouldn't be able to sustain it if we weren't going to live in the market where our business was mm-hmm. going to be. And that's that's the business you started when you had when you made this decision to leave the corporate world. Is that right? No, no. no so this, I did that, that. This was back in 1990. Okay, or, yeah, that's why I was confused because it sounds yeah, like you did this while you were still in school. Yeah, nine. No, I wasn't in school. I was, uh, you know, I'd gone into the finished undergrad, went into see. the workforce, and then went to grad school. Okay, and uh, probably a longer story than than is necessary for <laughs> but, the. But podcast. you did have this this so you had this taste of being an entrepreneur, and then you went to the corporate world. That yeah, and you know, at that time it was uh, our our first kid was born in the middle of business law in grad school. We started I this see. business, and our second one was born soon after, and. And we, we ran it for a couple of years, scrappily struggling. And uh, when we decided to, to, 
to shutter it, it was okay. Now I've got to go out and make some real money. I see. Take care of take care of the kids and do that. And then I went back into corporate world and uh, stayed there for another twenty years. I see. All right. I want to read something from a, you wrote an interesting article a few years back uh, for the Huffington Post that I want to read a quote from, because I think it's so, it's so appropriate for a lot of us as you're making that transition from the corporate world. And here it is quote, you said, when I started my own business, I knew that there would not be any insulation or buffer. If I was to succeed, I would have to boldly step out of that comfort zone. And frankly, I was terrified. It kept me up at nights, and I had some doubt that I could, but I was also highly motivated. I had wanted to do this my whole life. I had kids in college and a mortgage to worry about. So as they say, failure was not an option. So I appreciate you having shared that as a very, uh, I think, a very transparent, very enlightening article. When you think back to that, what were some of the ways that you got past that I don't know, lack of confidence, perhaps, for lack of a better term. Yeah, uh, and, it, and it's interesting as you read it. I can still just, you know, have you that. Can still look, feel that. I'm sure. I really, viscerally feel <laughs> that. That too. you know, a couple of interesting things. One of the ways I got past it is, is honestly, and and I've already given her too much credit, and it's going to go right to her head. <laughs> thankfully, she's out of town right now. Um, my wife, who had absolutely no doubt, not for a second. In fact, I remember. And we've laughed about it since. I remember going to her and saying, hey, would you you please have some doubt? I mean, just a little, uh, because it would make me feel better if if you were worried too, because she just just did not. Uh, And so I think that that absolutely, you know, one helped, but also continued to 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 motivate. The the other thing is that um, I've learned since then, um, I had a very wise person uh, say to me, you know, uh, I look back now, we've, I've been doing this eight years and, um, you know, our business thankfully is, is very, very successful. And, you know, it's certainly, uh, far beyond where, where I had, had hoped it would be. Uh, but I still go to bed worried. I still, I still wonder, I still have that scarcity mindset. And this friend, you know, one day when I was, was mentioning that, uh, she said to me, um, you should welcome that because it's your guard against complacency. You know, worry is a fantastic protector uh, to keep entrepreneurs on, on task and on, you know, on point, making sure that, that you're always moving forward and, and that you don't rest on any, you know, on your most recent successes. And I think that's a really important lesson is that that fear, that worry is actually kind of an indicator that you're doing something right. And, you know, in the early days, there just wasn't time to get paralyzed by that fear or that lack of confidence. You just, you know, I could not look up long enough to kind of confront it. I just had to continue to move forward. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I love that. And thanks for sharing that because I agree that I think the other thing that happens with people is they think, am I the only one that's feeling this? Is this how it's supposed to be? And the reality is that the answer is yes, for all the reasons you articulated, we just got to learn how to manage that and focus it on that energy that, that keeps us moving forward in my experience. Yeah, I work with founders every single day. And, and you know, I, I can tell you that to a person, you know, I always say that, that, that their constant companions are doubt and worry. They mm-hmm. sit on each of their shoulders constantly. Um, and, and I don't know of any way to um, remove that because 
if if those are absent, then there's something wrong. Yeah. Either you're not you're not extending yourself uh, enough, or trying you know to be bold enough, or you're just so pathologically optimistic that you're unaware. Right. So. Yeah, agreed. So where did this uh, focus on natural products come from? Well, I had been in the in the consumer packaged good food and beverage space my whole career. And and um, when I really started going through through the motions of thinking what was next for me, um, what what I recognized is that the best entrepreneur that I thought I could be would, would actually come alongside um, those entrepreneurs who may have been earlier in their career and and doing some really really amazing disruptive things, and guide them around some of the uh, pitfalls, minefields, trapdoors, and things that I had uh, um, experienced, uh, witnessed, gone through in my career up until that point. Um, really thinking that I was going to be positioned as as the teacher. Um, and, and when I also thought about that, I also wanted it to be really aligned with, with, you know, my core values. And so, you know, making sure that everybody that we were working with and in support of was uh, working in the best interest of, or working towards what is best for people, planet and profits uh, in the natural product space, uh, obviously uh, uh, really aligns with that. Yeah. It's, it, it seems to me like in this space, you, you might get a lot of people who have a lot of passion, a lot of, I mean, they really, there's a, there's, there's a big why that's driving this, but that can lead to missing some of the fundamentals, which I suspect is a lot of what they get from being part of TIG. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, there's some huge benefits to the passion that comes with it. And I think every entrepreneur needs that passion, needs that deep why, because that's what, you know, that's what promotes and breeds perseverance, which I think every entrepreneur must have. Um, but it, it also often means that they're taking big, big gulps from their own Kool-Aid yeah. and, and uh, don't necessarily have um, the, the full, the full awareness of what it actually takes to do it. Um, and, and also, you know, a lot of these folks, they're not coming from business backgrounds. And, and so there's a lot around just the business aspect of it and, and, you know, the joys of, you know, raising capital and working in that kind of, um, pursuit that they, they don't know and, and, uh, and have to be, uh, uh educated. So I, I touched on in the opening, but, but explain to us briefly what TIG is and, and what the service that you provide. Yeah. So, you know, we, we, uh, we run two programs. Our primary, our, our, what we call our Tardigrade Accelerator Program is really aimed for uh, natural product brands and food and beverage and personal care and wellness that are kind of in that pre-seed to series A range. So they have their products in the market, they've been in market for a while and they're trying to take that next big step. Mm-hmm. And in, in this industry and, and really in so many startups, there's what's called the valley of death. That's that, that, that uh, chasm between that seed stage and series A where you're, you're not big enough yet to get to institutional money um, but you're not so small that you can just stand still and be scrappy. And our job is to come alongside them and, and, and really help them um, navigate and cross that valley to where they're 
you know, sustainable and investable businesses by, by institutional capital. So uh, they apply to come into our program. Um, we come alongside the stakeholders with them and we become a part of their team and we work towards our obsolescence. Um, we have a second program, which is really aimed at those a little bit earlier in their journey or who don't necessarily want the complete um, uh, you know, uh, support or don't need the complete support. So we developed a hybrid e-learning program. So this is a program where entrepreneurs can come in and really learn about this business and this space and some of those fundamentals you were mentioning that, you know, kind of to, to begin to, 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 to see what they don't know. Uh, it's an eight course program that they have three months to complete and they attend weekly live workshops and we have an online um, community that's that's uh, you know just for them. It's not uh, you know it's not like a Facebook group. It's it's our own um, robust kind of community where there's a lot of collaborative activity, uh, and and so many of them will come into that. And that's our our Tardigrade Incubator program. And and you know some of those that come into that program then then decide to graduate and matriculate to the accelerator. Love it. Great stuff. And this, this word tardigrade, I had to look up. I didn't know what that meant. <laughs> <laughs> so it's very interesting. And I want to chat about that for a moment. But yeah. first, I want, I want to read this quote. I, I think it's from the website, but you focus on how to build tardigrades. We'll explain in a moment what the heck that is. Not unicorns. Uh, but first of all, let's, let's talk about tardigrades and what the heck that is. Sure. Well, I mean, they're really, you know, the, the honest answer to that is, in the startup space, whether it's in natural products or tech or some or any really any other industry, we we celebrate the unicorn. That's what we read about in, in you know in the press. That's what um, entrepreneurs often gauge success. And I just struggled with that because you know um, those are few and far between and. Uh, a lot of really good businesses miss the opportunity to be good businesses because they're chasing this this myth mythical creature. Um, uh, you know, I'll share I'll share an interesting two interesting statistics uh, from 2009 to 2019. 18 billion dollars of market share moved from the top 25 consumer packaged goods to smaller emerging brands. Wow! So that's that's an amazing shift in consumer behavior. But then if you look at those brands, between 80 and 90% of consumer packaged good brands that start are gone within two years. Yeah. And those two things just, just sat with me and just, you know, I, I found them, su they're, they're such um, opposite uh, ends of the, of the continuum. Mm -hmm. So uh, the, the Tardigrade was born out of an article I was writing for one of the industry publications. And I was trying to find the antithetical anal analogy <laughs> to a unicorn. And I stumbled across the Tardigrade, which happens to be this microscopic creature that is the most resilient uh, creature in, in the world. Uh, it's able to live at the very depths of the ocean or on the moon. It can handle incredible amounts of radioactivity. And when uh, the proverbial, you know what, hits the fan, uh, it can curl up into what's called cryptobiosis and survive for 30 years without food or water. Wow. And so to me, that was the mascot of the kind of brands and kind of companies I was interested in building and the kind of founders I was trying to, 
to recruit. These are nimble, capital efficient, resilient businesses that can pioneer new ecosystems, survive in every environment. And uh, the tardigrade became our mascot and, and, uh, and became the name of our uh, program. Yeah, I love that. Love that. It's such, such good stuff. And your, your stuff about the unicorn, your point about the unicorns so resonates with me, Elliot, because that is, in fact, one of the reasons I started this podcast as a big consumer of books uh, on business and reading about all of this in the periodicals. It's the unicorns, like you said, they get highlighted. And so we've got, as you work with people, as I work with my coaching clients, there's this ideal that that's the only measure of success. And it's, it's preposterous, it's ridiculous, and it's not realistic. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, and, and you know, I want, I'm not throwing shade on the unicorn either. I mean, I think it's fantastic. And, you know, there are entrepreneurs that, that really like to take that big home run swing at the plate and have really, really disruptive uh, and innovative things that they're bringing to market. And I applaud that. But the vast majority of, of folks who come in, at least in this space, um, they have great products, but they don't have that kind of game-changing disruption, yet that's what they want to chase. And uh, it often means that they're, they're setting in motion uh, kind of a, a path to, to um, you know, eventual demise. And it is why you think there is this, uh, this discrepancy between those stats that you shared and why so many flame out is because they're too quickly trying to find that unicorn. Yeah, um, that's certainly my hypothesis. And I think the data kind of backs it up is that they, they come in, they raise a lot of money, they spend very quickly, they try to you know grow as fast as they can. And then they get to this point where um, they're not as attractive to that next tranche of money. And if that's that it. next tranche of money doesn't come in, what then? The burn rate is such, they're in such a position that they can't retreat and go back to the other side of the valley. They're stuck down at the bottom with no provisions and there's nothing to do but die. Yeah, so. that makes sense. This is Henry Lopez with a brief pause to share a special offer from our new show sponsor, GoSight. I have a question for you. Is your business engaging with customers online? You know your customers expect a seamless and easy digital experience, especially during a pandemic, but how can you actually make it happen? You're already working hard from sunup to sundown on your business. You don't have the time to build a website, manage online reviews, and get set up to accept online bookings and payments. But it's not impossible. With GoSite, you can move your entire operation online easily with everything you need to run your business in one place. GoSite provides an all-in-one online platform that makes it easier for your customers to find, book, and pay for your services. Just take Liz as an example. Her landscaping business gained over $260,000 in online sales from new customers in their local area and used GoSite to make it easier for their existing customers to pay and book their services online. Check out the all-in-one platform from GoSite that makes it easier for your customers to find, book, and pay for your services online instantly. Best of all, you don't need any technical experience to get started. Go to gosite.com forward slash podcast to get started for free. That's gosite.com slash podcast to get started today for free. Okay, I'm going to jump around a little bit uh, on all of the different things that you focus on. 
Sure. Well, one thing that caught my attention is your, your focus on helping people understand that it's about, as you say, the one word empathy and, and understanding instead of chasing shelf space, if I got it right, it's about getting in the heart of, into the heart of the consumers. I'd like you to speak to that for a moment, if you would. Yeah. I mean, I, I, first of all, I think empathy is a superpower in any business. I mean, I think empathy is a superpower in human relations. Um, it's the, it's the center point of human centered design and design thinking, um, which is something that so many of, of the tech firms and so forth, um, you know, follow as a framework, uh, you know, but, but especially as it applies to brands and branding um, and, you know, whether it's a physical product or, you know, if you're even as a consultant or a coach, you're, you're building a brand. Uh, and, and the relationship we form with brands is emotive. It's not, it's very rarely rational. It's more yeah. emotive. And so if you're going to be an effective marketer, an effective brander, and you're, you're looking to, to make connections with consumers, the place to start is being able to see through their eyes, is to be able to walk in their shoes and understand what motivates them, what frightens them, what matters to them, and being able to speak to that. And, you know, that's, that's where I think a lot of businesses, you know, just broadly make mistakes and specifically in our industry to that quote, um, they, they look at the transactional nature of the business and getting onto the shelf of the supermarket is, you know, the transactional side, but getting there is just the, is just the battle. It's getting, getting picked up by the consumer and getting consumed by the consumer that's the war. And if you don't resonate with them, if you're not connecting with them, if you don't really understand why they pick you versus somebody else, then you're focused too much just on the transaction and you're missing the real challenge of building a business. Mm -hmm. I love this quote of yours related to this uh, quote. It does not matter what we think our brand is. What matters is what our consumers think it is, end quote. And as you were explaining that, a question that comes to mind, Elliot, is I got to believe that almost all, if not all of these founders come to it with uh, having developed this idea for this product or they're at a point where they've already rolled out the product. And at some point, is it that when you get focused on the transaction side of it, you start to lose that focus? Is that what happens often? Yeah, it's, you know, and this is, again, I think it crosses over lots of business, but um, it's a bit of its vanity, quite honestly, and vanity metrics. We, you start chasing and measuring things thinking that they matter, but they really don't. They're just a way of keeping score. And in our industry, one of the most common is, you know, uh, it, it's, kind of, it's kind of like the uh, old adage when you were a, a prisoner of war and all you gave was your name, rank, and serial number. In this business, it's how much money you've raised and how many doors you know, right. you're, you're in. Uh, and that's that, you know, that's kind of the normal greeting. Hi, I'm Elliot. I'm in 6,000 doors and I've raised 3 million bucks. I mean, uh, but that doesn't really talk about the business. And so that's what we try to educate entrepreneurs about is you've got to build a business first. And, and that starts with making sure that what you want consumers to believe is aligned with what they actually believe yeah. about your product. And if I've understood at a high level, at least in part, how you help them do this is this growth hack process. 
that allows me to, to get that feedback that I, I just don't have the resources that large organizations have to get in the way in other ways, right? Ex- explain that a little bit to me, to me, if you would, yeah. Yeah, you know, the first thing obviously we do is we start with the business fundamentals and make sure all those work, you know, unit economics and et cetera. But then what we do with our, with our uh, brands is we construct a growth hypothesis. So, you know, uh, some people call it strategic plan, sales plan. Uh, to me, it, it is all hypothetical, especially when you're doing, when you're working with a nascent, you know, company or, you know, something that isn't even truly in, in market of significance. So in that growth hypothesis, you're, you're making a lot of assertions, assumptions about, you know, the type of, of sales uh, you'll get and the type of marketing that'll work and acquisition and so forth. And what a lot of companies do is then they have now believed this. They don't take, they don't, they don't recognize it as a hypothesis. They, they decide it's a truth and they go out and they raise the money and they spend the money and jump in fully and then find out a year or two later that, ah, you know, missed it, you know, just a bit outside. Yeah. So what we do is we encourage and work with our brands to develop controlled experiments. We isolate those, some of those variables to validate some of those assumptions, such as, you know, is the pricing architecture actually going to work? Does the promotion plan, you know, translate to the kind of, you know, velocity in, in sales that we anticipate is the acquisition spend acquire, you know, and the activity of our acquisition actually acquiring the number of customers we expected, all of those things, we test them on much smaller scale. And we try to run some concurrent experiments and, and isolate or at least focus on those variables to quickly learn. And if we're going to fail, we fail in a much smaller way and, you know, in a way that doesn't doesn't uh, lead to an existential threat on the business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as you've, you've got so many brands that are part of the, have been part of the program, as it relates to this process, could, could you share with me at a high level, a story of a brand that's done this right with your guidance? Uh, sure. Uh, there's a brand that, that uh, it's called the good Chris company. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been working with them uh uh, from the very, very first days, uh, they, they're actually, uh, they were an Australian-born company, uh, came here to the U.S. with a couple of conceptual ideas, uh, and we actually sat down with some some retailers and had conversations, and it became abundantly clear that the product that was going to win here was their all-natural uh, stack chip, uh, kind of like a better for you Pringle. Right. Um, what we did initially was we decided to run some, some of the tests that I mentioned, some of the growth mm-hmm. hacks, and we did it in uh, uh, Whole Foods just in Northern California. And we learned a lot. One of the things that we learned was that the brand that we were doing this under just did not work. Uh, it didn't translate. The consumers didn't understand the branding. Uh, so we went back and, and, and changed the branding and turned it into the Good Chris Company. And, I see. Uh, and, and then we went back out with that learning and with some of the adjustments in, in flavor and, and really first built there and then built further on the West Coast. And you know now they're in, I think, well over 10,000 locations and, um, and are the fastest growing natural chip brand in the U.S., and if I would have not taken this growth hack approach and I had gotten a bunch of money, let's say, I might have tried to get 
instead focused on getting on shelves and would not have gotten that feedback to pivot on the branding early enough. Is that part of what I might've had might've happened? That's exactly what, what, what would have likely happened because the branding and the pricing architecture was off that they probably would have been able to still win their way onto quite a bit of shelves. Cause there was nothing in, in that, you know, that natural space that competed against, you know, a, a Pringle. Um, and what they would have done is raised quite a bit of money and been able to get the on shelf and in a lot of locations, but it wouldn't have seen the kind of velocities that may and the sales that would make it stay on the shelf and make the retailers uh, want that. And so, uh, you know, by doing it this way and also by being very disciplined in the growth. So, you know, it's once you hit that and once you figure it out, it's the, the, the allure of building quickly is there, um, but it becomes really difficult to know your nose and to be able to be um, disciplined around, you know, when are we ready to activate a market? When are we ready to activate a retailer? When do we have enough capital to activate all of that? And staying true to that plan, even when you're getting pulled to go faster. And yeah. they, they, they did an outstanding job of both. And, and, they're, and they're seeing the benefit. The, the uh, uh, founder, Matt Perry, uh, relocated his family from Adelaide, Australia to Boulder, Colorado. And it's, it's a great story. And it's been a pleasure and an honor to kind of be a part of the journey with them. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks for sharing that. And it, as you're describing that, it, it took a heck of a lot of patience and sticking to the plan to do that. Because like you said, the, the attraction of, oh, but if we did this, we could get it so many more shelves. And I, I can see where that becomes um, enticing, you yeah? Yeah, it's like it's like the drums of Jumanji calling. <laughs> All right, another point you talk about, I don't know how related it is to this, but it, but it stood out for me because I see it as such a challenge across any industry, and that's when you talk about dealing with the challenge of the abundance of ideas. Are, is this, are you talking about this at the beginning or all through the process? What do you mean by that, and, and how do you deal with that? Yeah, I, I, it, to me, it's all the time, and it's 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 an indicator firstly that, that you're onto something, right? So when abundance is your challenge and not scarcity, that means mm -hmm. like, wow, I'm doing something cool because right. I got a lot of choices, right? Uh, but entrepreneurs and, and just people who are out on their own in general, in my experience, um, are often squirrels chasing their next nut. Absolutely. Um, and, and while that seems, we sometimes confuse um, activity with results, right? We feel busy. We're feeling, we're chasing things. We're moving things forward faster because we're chasing all these potential opportunities. When in fact, that lack of discipline, that lack of focus is, is working to slow us down, is working to, to pull back our progress. And so the key is being able to look past that abundance, to be able to discern the difference between um, the interesting and the important and, and staying focused on the important and, you know, maybe noting the interesting for something to come back and look at later, but not letting it distract you and, and, and impede your progress. Yeah. Such a great insight. I also think Elliot, it takes having mentors, coaches to help us see the difference. It's interesting you say that because one of the things that we, you know, I'm a research junkie and, and that's what I meant when I said, I'm a, natural products nerd, uh, you know, I, I, 
I like to research and, and look for causal relationships. And one of the things that we studied and, and found is that, you know, if you, if you, I, if you hold most other variables constant, um, the brands, the companies, the entrepreneurs that outperform their similar peers, um, one, one of the key differentiators between the two cohorts is that the performing ones have surrounded themselves with really, really good advisors. They're not doing it by themselves. They're getting people around them who will tell them what they need to hear, not what they want to hear, who can think with them, who can challenge them, who can maybe you know, point out the unintended, the unintended consequences of their actions. Um, it's really, really something that I encourage anyone who is you know, a current entrepreneur, aspiring entrepreneur to do early. And that is to, to you know, bring people along with you in the journey who can, can guide you. Excellent. Thanks for that advice. And that relates to the last question I want to ask before we start to wrap it up. If, if I've got an idea for a natural product, that's part of it, getting some help. Where else do you, what do you recommend I get started? Um, I would say don't. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, think, no. Think that, very long and hard before you do it. Yeah, yeah. Run, run. <laughs> um, you know, I think there's there's a lot there's a lot of places in the industry to do it. Certainly, we would be happy to have a conversation, and we do that a lot. I mean, um, you know, not everyone's a fit for our program, but we have a philosophy of always making the time to provide some some coaching and some direction and some connection. So certainly yeah, viewing TIG as a resource, uh, FMI, the Food Marketing Institute. Um, there's a, there's a um, lot of uh, or, uh, groups, uh, what's called the Naturally Network. So Naturally Boulder, Chicago, Bay Area, New York, LA. These are uh, you know, uh, nonprofit grassroots organization, founder to founder peer. So there's a lot of places in this industry to find support. Great advice. Great advice. And then, so tell me this e-learning program, tell me more about that and who that might be a fit for. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, about two, two plus years ago uh, on a lark, which is unlike me, I, I purchased uh, a license to a, a, a learning management system oh, with, okay. with the idea of one day figuring out how to use it. And, <laughs> um, uh, really wanting to fig, you know, to develop something that didn't lose the uh, human interactivity, but also allowed a one-to-many solution, so that we could make it accessible and affordable, and hopefully, you know, provide the the really key and important learnings as brands start out, so that they can avoid some of the very costly mistakes. And again, our mission is to take that eighty to ninety percent that fail in the first two years and dramatically reduce it. Um, uh, when a year ago, when, when COVID disrupted everything, uh, you know, it, 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 it became apparent, uh, and, and really, again, looking at trends, um, if you go back to like 2008, when we go through periods of major disruption in our economy, that's usually when a lot of new entrepreneurs are born because they're shaken Absolutely. out of their nest forcefully. And they're having to to reassess what's next, and a lot of them decide I don't want to be uh, at the mercy of somebody else making decisions that impact my life. I'd rather control my own destiny, and so they they jump into entrepreneurialism. So so I recognize that there was likely going to be you know a new 
crop of entrepreneurs. And then also, um, you know, our, our sector, this sector in particular, had, had uh, proven its, its ability to be resilient in this type of economy. And uh, a lot of that growth was being driven by e-com. And so that was the, those two forces were the impetus that I needed to, to get off my, you know what, to, to get that program done. So we worked as a team and, and we, we did it, um, Henry, in, two, in true entrepreneurial form. Uh, we reached out to a lot of the folks we knew in the industry and said, we are going to take 10 brands. Here's an application because we wanted to have a good diverse type of a cohort of founders in different categories and in different life stages. Um, and so we put, a, put an application and we had over 200 applicants um, and chose 10. And what we did is we would build a course, bring them through the course um, do the, the, the workshops and then uh, have focus groups afterwards and then go back in and make all of the changes to the coursework, to the content, to the assignments um, that we got from their feedback as our, um, uh, as our focus group. And we did that course after course after course for a period of about um, six, seven months uh, until we, we finished and then we, we launched it. And it, it's really aimed at those people who are either new to entrepreneurship or, or newly on their journey or reassessing their journey or considering being on. And they come in and there's eight, eight courses that they go through. Each course is self-directed. It's a combination of you know, video lecture assignments, assessments, uh, reading, all, all of that stuff. And then we teach uh, a live interactive workshop every week that they can attend. We have virtual office hours every day. And then they have this online portal where they have peer-to-peer -peer collaboration. And it's something um, I'm just really excited and proud of. And I think it's it, it really serves uh, a, a valuable um, uh, role and in, in purpose in the industry. And, and I'm glad that, that uh, you know, one of the uh, outcroppings of COVID was that it, it, uh, it created the impetus to get it done. Yeah, no doubt. So with the E-Tardigrade program, is that just a fee-based? Do you take an equity position with these? How does that work? Yeah, that one is just a very simple fee-based. It's a, it's a one-time fee. Uh, it can be uh, broken up into two payments. And then you have three months to go through the the, the program and attend the workshops and so forth, because we want to make sure that there's a clock ticking to keep entrepreneurs moving, but it recognizes that, you know, life gets in the way. So, uh, you know, when we first did it, we, we did it as, as eight weeks and the pilot group said that was too much. We did it to 10 weeks and we finally just decided to build it to three months to give plenty of time. Right. And then uh, I'll call it the regular tardigrade program. Do you take an equity position in that program? Yeah, so the, the, the Tardigrade, the, the accelerator program was really built as an alternative to the accelerators that were out there because so many of those were tech-based. Right. So we have an equity component, but it's at the option of the founder. We don't I mandate see. it. So they have the ability to defer um, into, into a safe, a simple agreement for future equity. Wonderful. Great stuff. Thanks for sharing all of that. I'm always interested in books. Is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Yeah, I was rereading recently Story Brand. I think, you know, again, I, I love the concept of empathy and I love the reality that we 
we buy, eat, and, and deal with story. So that's always a fun one to kind of revisit. Thank you. I have not read that, so I'll put that on my list. I appreciate the recommendation. And it's, and it's really applicable, by the way, to across any business. Yeah. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, we're all having to be able to tell a story about what we do. Right. Exactly. All right. Great stuff. Elliot, what's one thing you want to stick away from this conversation we had about, in particular, growing a, a natural products brand? Well, I'll take it up a level and just say in general, you know, that that um, I think one of the biggest fallacies and one of the biggest lessons for me is that I always thought prior to being an entrepreneur and to, to, to doing this, that security was synonymous with working for a big company or being in the corporate fold. Um, the reality is security is learning how to fish for your own food. It's imperfect, it's messy, it can be scary as hell. Um, but if you have the drive and the motivation and, and the compelling why and the business acumen, and that's important uh, to do it, then, then do it. Be an entrepreneur. It's a big, vibrant part of our economy, and it's, it's a hell of a ride. Yeah, I love that. That's inspirational. I, I, you know, this is such a common topic for me on the show and in working with my clients. I, I just have come to understand that it's, it, it's really a mindset issue on this uh, sense of security that people attach to a job. Absolutely. All right, where do you want us to go online to learn more? Uh, Easiest place is to just go to our website, www.tigbrands.com. Everything there about our program and certainly uh, love to uh, connect with anybody on LinkedIn. You'll find me there too. Wonderful. And TIG again is T-I-G-brands.com. You got it. Elliot, fascinating conversation. Thanks for taking the time, indulging all of my questions and for being with us today. Oh, Henry, my pleasure. Great conversation, great questions. I enjoyed it and probably could have kept on going. Absolutely. We could talk about this forever, but thank you so much. This is Henry Lopez. And thanks again for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today again was Elliot Vegan. We release new episodes every Monday morning and you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.